everyone that's happy in the Lord this morning say amen. amen. I want to bring you a word from the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. Actually, I take that back. Close your Bibles and put them on the floor. Repeat after me. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Hold on a second. I got to say something. Some of y'all ain't got no faith because the minute I said it is just one sentence. You immediately assume that you didn't have it. And so you didn't even try to say it. You just looked at me. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, you can, you can remember more than you think you can remember. And so, th- you know what, why I do this? I do this because if you hear a powerful message that transforms your life, but you don't have any scripture in your heart, there's no hook to hang it on. And it doesn't stick. It's like walking in the room and throwing your coat on the wall. There's no hook to hang it on. It doesn't stick. Everything that God speaks, you need a hook to hang it on. And so what I make it a point to do is when I preach out of the Bible, I try to memorize that verse of scripture that I'm preaching on. And whenever I hear a sermon, I try to memorize the verse that the preacher preached on. Why? Because if I remember the points, but I don't remember the text that the points came from, then I've got the answer, I've got the answer but not the question. And I've got, I've got points about something, but I don't have the thing that the points are about. And so this is why people can go to church and sit in churches and hear sermon after sermon after sermon and sit under some of the deepest teaching in the world, but still not change, not grow, not develop, not get no, no deeper in Christ. Why? Because you don't have five scriptures memorized to speak of. If someone were to ask you, what is your favorite scripture? You'd go back to, for God so loved the world, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Jesus wept. And so if you go home and remember my jokes, but don't remember the text of scripture that I preached on, you didn't get nothing. And so you got to get that word in you. Is it in you? You gotta hide it in your heart. You gotta, you gotta, you know, God spoke to Joshua and said, This book of the law will not depart from your mouth. This book of the law will, you will meditate on it day and night. You gotta learn how to meditate on the word of God day and night. You gotta get more scripture in you. 
And you got to learn how to steward the words of God. You know, I hear people leaving churches because they say I'm not being fed. What they really mean is I'm not being entertained because the preacher is not an entertaining or engaging enough preacher. But let me tell you something. If you learn how to feed on the words of God that come through us through the book of Scripture day and night, you will never be unfed. I never say I'm not being fed when I've got the word of God. It's the source of my sustenance. I'm constantly feeding on it. Amen. Amen. Now, let's try this again. And you've got to get some faith. That, and see, most believers don't have any faith that they can memorize Scripture. I hear believers say, oh, I have no, my memory's terrible. I can't. So I don't even try. You've got to get some faith that you can get some word in you. And you can keep it in you. And you can hide it in your heart. And it'll grow in your heart. And you'll meditate on it day and night. And you'll be careful to obey it. And you'll have success in all that you do. That's what God promised Joshua. Amen? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now here's what I want you to do. It's James chapter 1 verse 12. James chapter 1 verse 12. I want you to write it down. I want you to go home and meditate on it day and night. I want you to go home and pray through it. I want you to go home and get it in your spirit. I want you to meditate on it day, all day, every day this week. I, when you come to church next Thursday and next Sunday, I want you to be quoting that scripture to each other. I want you to look, to look for somebody during the week to share it with. <clears throat> I want you to meditate on it. I want you to get it in your heart. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want to say that everything that I'm going to say to you today is about this verse, but the substance is in this verse. The substance is the word of God. And if you get this verse on the inside of you and you meditate on it and let God give you revelation, this verse will change your life. It'll change your perspective. It'll open your heart. It'll open your mind. And here is the thing that God is speaking to us through this verse of scripture. Each time we go through a trial or a test, we have often, most often misunderstood the purpose of the test. There's a purpose for every trial you walk through. There's a purpose for every test. 
There's a purpose for every temptation. There's a purpose for every difficult time. There is a purpose. And the purpose is that God wants to give you a new crown. He wants to give you a crown of life. But in order to qualify you for the crown, he's got to allow you to walk through a test. In order to qualify you for the crown, he's got to allow you to walk through a trial. In order to qualify you, he's got to allow you to walk through a test. He's got to test you before he can crown you. The thing is, none of us like to be tested. Nobody likes a test. But we can rest assured that God is a good teacher. Because no good teacher gives a test that he hasn't first prepared his students to take. You ever taken a test and the teacher didn't teach on the substance of the test? You're sitting there looking at these questions like, hold on a second. Wait a second. You never taught on this. This wasn't in any of your lectures. It wasn't in the required reading. You can't test me on what you haven't prepared me for. God never tests you on that for which he has not first prepared you. Never. He is always, and that's God's confidence when he allows you to walk through a test. That he's prepared you for it. That he's given you everything you need to come out of it with flying colors. He does not give you a test that he expects you to fail. He only gives you tests that he expects you to pass. If he doesn't think you can get an A, he doesn't allow you to walk through it. And that's why when you're taking a test, a teacher is silent. Because every teacher is silent when, you're go- when the students are taking a test. That's why you've been crying out to God and he hasn't answered you. You've been asking him for direction and he hasn't given you any direction. You've been asking him for the way and he isn't showing you the way. You've been asking him for a sign and he's not giving you any signs. You've been asking for a miracle and you're not getting no miracle. Why? Because you're taking a test and the teacher does not give any information while the students are taking a test. He gave you the information beforehand. Now you've got to stand on it and believe you've got it and believe you're prepared for it and believe you're ready to sit down and take this test. When he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. Meaning he doesn't receive it if he doesn't stand the test. If he falls, he must be retested. And that's what an F is. If you receive an F on a test, it means you got to retake that test again. And an F is not the end of the world. It simply means you got to get up and retake that test again. The problem is we got believers in the body of Christ who have been retaking the same tests for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years and actually thinking that that's God's divine destiny because we're supposed to fall down and then get up and then fall down and then get up and then we fall down and get up because a saint is just a sinner who falls down and gets up. And falls down and gets up. And we quote scriptures like a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. But we fall eight, nine, ten, twelve, twenty-seven, a hundred and thirty-seven times. And we begin to think that our life is supposed to be characterized by falling down and getting up. And falling down and getting up. And the only thing we're missing is a crown because we never stood the test. God is calling us to learn how to stand the test, how to understand when we walk into a test 
that God is getting ready to give me a crown. That the reason I'm entering into this time of testing is because God, and it's in every realm of human experience. If you're studying martial arts, when your teacher says you're ready for the test, it means he wants to give you a new belt. If you're going through police academy, when they say you're ready for the test, it means you're ready to receive your badge. Mathematics, when you're ready for the test, it means you're ready to go on to the next level of mathematics. A test is a good thing. It's simply there to affirm in you and establish in you that you have what you need in order to go to the next level. We need to begin to count it pure joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. And we need to let patience have its perfect work so that we might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, what does it mean to walk through a test? When you walk through a test, it's typically characterized by lack. Meaning that there's some resource that you need and you don't get it. God talked about the test that he put Israel through in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. Moses says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you. In order to see what was in your heart, whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. You know, whenever you are hungry for anything, it is God ordained. He caused you to hunger. Literally, God is saying that those times in the wilderness when you had no food and no water and you were desperate and you were crying out, that was a God-ordained season in your life where God says, I'm going to take away your daily bread and I'm going to cause you to hunger. Why? So that he could feed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Meaning, had he not tested them with breadlessness in the wilderness, he would not have had an occasion to give them the bread from heaven. Because if you're eating the bread of the earth, you have no need for the bread of heaven. And so when God wants to give you bread of heaven, he takes away the bread from the earth. And he causes you to hunger. And then he feeds you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Why he wants to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so typically when you're walking through a test, you're lacking something. You're missing something. There's some needed resource in your life that you're not getting. And the temptation when you're walking through a test is to begin to play the blame game. To blame others for your current situation. How come nobody sees what I'm going through? How come nobody is meeting my need? How come nobody is giving anything to me? How come nobody loves me? How come nobody cares about me? How come nobody, nobody, nobody called me when I was going through my tough time? How come nobody wrote me a check when I was broke? How come nobody gave me a ride when I didn't have a car? How come nobody, nobody, nobody loves me? Never stopping to think maybe I'm walking through a test and God wants to qualify me for a greater crown. I had a layover, a four-hour layover in Taipei on the way home the other day when I was coming home from Indonesia. And I met a couple there in the airport coming off the plane uh, when we got to Taipei. And they were on the same flight I was on. And uh, we started talking. And uh, turned out they were believers. And they lived in Washington, D.C. And 
they asked me, would you like to sit down and have a meal with us? I said, sure, I would love to have a meal with you. And I sat down. We, had a, we both had a four-hour layover. And we began to talk, and they began to share about their experience. But they began to ask questions. And, and the man began, the husband began to ask questions about, um, about how I handle certain issues in my life. And he said, one of the core issues for us is that we have such hearts of compassion, we're constantly helping people. And he said, our friends are coming to us with needs, and we're constantly trying to meet those needs. And every time a missionary comes to our church, we feel like we need to help that missionary. And every time somebody calls with a need, we feel like we need to help. And we're constantly helping. He said, but we're burned out because we're giving and giving and giving, but we're not receiving. But at the same time, if we don't give, we feel guilty. And he said, so how do you do that? I said, what I do is I listen to the Lord. Because there are times when I have the means to meet a need, and God says, don't you dare do it. And there are times when I don't have the means to meet a need, and God says, figure it out and meet it. And sometimes my heart says, God, I want to do this, but God says, no. In those times when the Spirit of the Lord says no, what I realize is that that person has been driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of the Lord, and if I start bringing them TV dinners and McDonald's, I short-circuit the test, and they don't get the crown. In Matthew 4, the Scripture says, Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of the Lord to be tempted by the devil. Some of us would have seen Jesus out there and said, we need to put together a committee to feed Jesus. Jesus is hungry. We got to get some food for Jesus. We would have taken him three hots a day. And he never would have come out in the power of the Spirit because we short-circuited the test. You know why nobody's meeting your need? Because you're in a test right now and God wants to qualify you for a crown and he's not letting anybody meet your need because he's got manna from heaven waiting to feed you with. There's a purpose to the test. There's a purpose to the temptation. There's a purpose to the trial. God wants to qualify you, but he can only qualify you if you stand the test. You got to stand the test. You got to make a decision. I'm not going to be out in the wilderness doubting. I'm not going to be out in the wilderness being discouraged. I'm not going to be out in the wilderness feeling like God has abandoned me. I'm not going to be out in the wilderness feeling like God has forsaken me, feeling unloved by God, feeling like the body of Christ doesn't care about me. I'm not going to be out in the wilderness blaming others for the place I'm at. I'm going to be out in the wilderness believing that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ. I'm going to be out in the wilderness and I will not stagger in unbelief concerning the promise of God, but I will be strengthened in my faith and I'll give glory to God because I believe that God is able to do what he has promised. You got to stand the test. Now the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter four, that after Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, by the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord drove him. You got to get that in your spirit. He was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, Jesus, you're getting out there into that wilderness. I need you into the will. I need you in the wilderness right now. And the purpose was to be tempted by the devil. I'm going to put you in the place where the devil's going to tempt you. That doesn't sound good, does it? No, that doesn't sound good. 
You're going to put me in the place where you know the devil's going to tempt me? How much confidence does God have to have in us? God says, I'm going to put you out there because I know you're going to stand the test. Do you have the kind of confidence in you that God does? Anytime God allows you to be tested, it's it's his vote of confidence. Wow, God, you have that much confidence in what you've done in me? That you believe I can stand this test? That's why the disciples went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the sake of Christ after they had been beaten by the Sanhedrin. Wow, God, God trusts us enough to allow us to be beaten for the sake of Christ. God, will you trust me less? Don't trust me so much. Watch this. It says after 40 days, he didn't eat for 40 days. And after 40 days, he was hungry. That's an understatement. But actually, it's a very important statement because if you've ever gone on a long fast or studied what happens when you go on a long fast, if you just drink water for an extended period of time, between day four and day seven, the hunger pains go away. And you actually feel strong. By day 12, you actually feel like you can endure the fast, extend, you can extend it forever. You feel like, I don't need to eat. You just feel strong. You just feel like, oh, I'm cool. Your energy level's lower, but you still, you don't, you're not walking around like, oh. you know what I mean? You feel strong, unless you're a Pharisee. <laughs> What's wrong with you, brother? I'm fasting. (laughs) Oh, yeah, put it on Facebook. Pray for me, church, because I'm on a fast. (laughs) And you just lost your reward. You might as well eat. (laughs) So you go on a fast. By the 12th day, you feel strong. But when the hunger pains come back, anywhere between the 21st day and the 40th day, That means your body has just gone into starvation and you are now dying. Starvation means that your your body is eating living flesh. Meaning your body is feeding on itself. Living cells are being eaten. That's really what starvation is. When your body is eating itself. You know, we say we're starving when we haven't eaten in a few hours. I'm starving. I haven't eaten in like three hours. (laughs) Now it says after 40 days he was hungry. What it means is that the hunger pains returned. It means starvation just set in. And when you get to that point, it's the most desperate place you have ever been in your entire life. You literally feel like you're going to die. It's dangerous. People actually do die. And that's when Satan showed up to test him. The tempter, the scripture calls him. The tempter showed up. At his weakest point, Satan doesn't show up on day 12 when you're having a revival. Satan shows up on day 40 when your body is eating itself. 
Satan shows up when you've been unemployed for two years and your unemployment ran out 18 months ago and you've eaten up your 401k and you've tapped out all of your relatives and friends and they've got no more money to loan you, no more money to give you and your landlord is not giving you any more extensions on the rent. He says, pay up or get out. And the rent is due and the light bill too. And money is funny and change is strange. That's when the devil shows up. That's when he comes to tempt you. And it's by divine design. And it's at that point that Satan comes to tempt him. And the first temptation was the temptation to take matters into his own hands and provide for himself. Turn these stones to bread. Provide for your own needs. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Literally, Jesus responds by saying, I know my physical body feels hungry, but I'm not living by physical bread I've been feeding on the words of God. And so even though there's nothing to go in my physical body, I'm well nourished because I've been eating the words of the living God. Listen, if you find yourself out in the wilderness and you're lacking some kind of physical sustenance, some kind of material provision, that's when you must learn how to feed on the words of God. Because if you don't feed on the words of God in the wilderness, you're going to feed on discouragement, hopelessness, and unbelief. If you don't feed on the words of God in the wilderness, Satan has plenty of words to feed you. He says, I will not feed myself. I will not use my power to satisfy myself. Okay. Second temptation takes him up to the top of the temple. Throw yourself down for it's written. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. They'll bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan is quoting scripture to God. Now, if Satan quoted scripture to Jesus, you think he'll hesitate to quote it to you? And here's the problem. The devil knows the Bible better than you do. He knows it in every version. He'll quote it to you in the King James, NIV, NKJV. He'll pick the version That suits his interpretation of it. His twisted interpretation. What is Satan tempting Jesus to do? To test God. Throw yourself down and let God prove to you that he's with you. Do something foolish. God will catch you. Do something ridiculous. God, you have a promise. Literally, he's telling Jesus, if God is with you, then test him. Let him show you. And Jesus responds, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Isn't it interesting that at the moment God is testing you, Satan comes to tempt you to test God. We got to get something straight. God is the teacher, not us. He gives the tests, not us. At the moment God tests you, Satan will tempt you to test God. Oh, you want to test me, God? I'll test you back. Prove to me that you're with me. Show me that you're with me. And God says, no, 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 no. You misunderstood what this is all about. This test is for you to prove to me that you're with me. Wow. 
not the other way around. I've already proven that I'm with you. I sent my son to die for you while you were still in your sins. I raised him from the dead for your justification. I filled you with the Holy Spirit, wrote your name in the book of life, indwelled you with my very presence, and promised to never leave you or forsake you, and swore it with an oath. The burden of proof isn't on me. The burden of proof is on you. I'm testing you in order to see what's in your heart. You will not test me. Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan says, I got one more test for you. Takes him up to the mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give you all of these if you'll fall down and worship me. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's what I'm talking about, Deanna. (laughs) But here's the key. Jesus was destined to be the heir of all things. I mean, he was going to inherit all of the kingdoms of the world. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, the cry emerges. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. At the resurrection, when Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, the first thing he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. He was going to inherit authority over the nations, but not yet. One of the greatest temptations of the enemy is to tempt you to take your destiny into your own hands and make it happen before it's God's time. He was destined to have all that, but not yet. Great temptation. When you sense God has destined you for something, you try to make it happen. God has destined me to be famous. So let me, you know, put my name out there and try to make myself famous. God has destined me to be rich. So let me, you know, do some get rich quick scheme and try to make myself rich. God has destined me for this. God's destined me for that. As soon as I start trying to make God's destiny happen in my own power, I'm in the flesh. How about this? Young men, you want a wife? See, here's the hard thing. If you keep pressing God to give you what he's destined you for outside of his time, he may do it. That's scary. That's scary that you can press God and say, God, I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. And God says, okay. Somebody else did that in the Bible. I think we call him the prodigal son. I want what you have for me. The problem was not that the prodigal son received an inheritance. He was supposed to, but not yet. Not yet. Young men. If you press God to give you a wife, he just might. But it's better to wait and say, God, in your time, in your time, in your time, come on, somebody. Oh, y'all got to hear me on this. Young ladies, you got to wait. You got to wait for God's time and God's way. And God's won. Got to wait for your Boaz. <laughs> None of his cousins. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going there, folks. <laughs> This is when you're really walking through a test. Matter of fact, this is the core constitution of any test. 
when you feel separated from your destiny. Isolated from resources that you know should belong to you. When it's like an as the deer pants for the water brooks, you can smell it. It's like a vein of water under the earth that you can't get to. Provision that you know you should have. God, why can't I break through this wall and get to what I know is on the other side? I can hear it over there singing, but I can't get to it. I can smell it cooking in the kitchen in the other room, but there's a wall that I cannot seem to find my way around. I know I'm supposed to have this. I know I'm supposed to be this. I know I'm supposed to do this, but every effort fails. And God says, you're walking through a test. You're walking through a test and all I'm asking you to do, you know, we come to that point where we say, God, tell me what to do. I'll do anything. I remember when I was crying out to God about the fourth or fifth year of the life of living hope, I said, God, see, when I came to Emeryville, God promised me thousands, tens of thousands of people. And I thought it was going to happen in about six months. I thought I would show up to Emeryville and the multitudes would come. I thought I would preach one sermon and 3,000 would be added to the church that day, just like the book of Acts. Instead, I started with 80 people and preached it down to about 64 in the first six months. First Easter Sunday, I could throw a rock and hit nobody. Before I knew it, five years went by. And I seemed like, it seemed like we made such little progress, it was negligible. And I cried out to God, I said, God, what do you want me to do? I could smell my destiny on the other side of the wall. I could smell the thousands. I knew what God had called me to. I said, God, what do you want me to do? I will do anything you tell me to do. I will wear a sandwich board if you want. I'll run butt naked through the city if you want. I'll do anything you want me to do. Give me something crazy and I'll do it. And God said, what did I tell you to do? I said, you told me to go to Emeryville. He said, then stand when I told, where I told you to stand. The only thing God's asking you to do is stand. When he has stood the test, it didn't say when he passed it, when he broke it, when he worked through it, when he figured it out, when he, it says he stood it. The only thing you got to do in the kind of test that God gives you is simply stand and say, God, I'm standing here for as long as I need to stand. And I, I know the wind and the waves are trying to blow you over, but you make a decision. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, taken the sword of the spirit which is the word of God the shield of faith well you got to do everything you can do to stand but the only thing you're doing is standing when he has stood the test when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life he will receive the crown of life he will receive the crown of life get rid of that discouragement that hopelessness Get rid of that pessimism. Get rid of it in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that spirit of depression off of you. That spirit of hopelessness that says it's not going anywhere. Nothing's happening. I'm not making any progress and there's no way out of this. I rebuke that lie of the devil in Jesus' name. You're going to stand the test. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, late in the midnight hour, God's going to turn it around. He's going to work in your favor. He's going to turn it around. Come on, somebody. But you got to stand the test. you got to stand the test. Satan has him up on a high mountain and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan. For it is written, 
Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and him only shalt thou serve. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall worship, or Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shalt thou serve. And it says, and Satan departed. You know what he came out of the wilderness with? First, he came out with a greater authority over the devil. He came out with the authority to cast out demons with a word. He came out with the authority to say, get out of here, Satan. Away with you, Satan. Listen, you want the authority to command demons to flee in your presence? You got to learn how to stand the test. You want the authority to rebuke the devil? Most believers can't rebuke the devil off a blade of grass. It's because they haven't stood a test before in their life. But Jesus stood a test. It only took 40 days. It took the children of Israel 40 years. He stood the test and came out with an authority over the devil. And that's what a crown is. A crown is a sign of authority. When God crowns you with the crown of life, it means he gives you authority over death. Away from me, Satan. He got to that last test and he knew this is it. And here's the key. When we walk through temptation, we don't seem to have the the, the discernment and wisdom to know when we've come to the end of it. And so we tolerate it. Had he tolerated it, Satan would have taken him to 28 more places. And offered him 28 more temptations. But he got to the third one and said, enough. Away from me, Satan. I've stood the test. There ain't going to be no more testing. No more temptation. I'm done with you. Out of here. I'm not falling for your foolishness. You shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shalt thou serve. I'm not falling for it. And he came out with a greater authority over the devil. And then it says in Luke chapter 4 that he came out in the power of the spirit. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit began to flow through his life. And that's when his miracle ministry began to break out. You want to see miracles break out through your life? Stand the test. Stand the test. For some of you, it's a financial test. For some of you, it's an employment test. For some of you, it's a relational test. For some of you, it's a test of desire. For some of you, it's a, 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 it's a, a test of wisdom. For some of you, it's a marital test. For some of you, it's a, a, it's a parental test. For some of you, it's a test in your workplace with your boss. It's a relational test. Whatever kind of test it is, you're going to stand the test. You make a decision. I'm going to stand the test, and I'm not going to be discouraged, and I'm not going to be disheartened. I'm not going to blame others for it. I'm not going to feel hopeless. I rebuke that spirit of hopelessness in the name of Jesus. You make a decision right now. I'm going to stand the test, and I'm going to receive the crown of life. I'm going to come out with a new authority over the devil. I'm going to come out with an, with a new expression of the power of the Holy spirit flowing through my life. I'm going to stand the test and I'm going to receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Come on, somebody. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed. That's why we got to learn how to count it pure joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. We got to learn how to let patience have its perfect work so that we might be perfect, lacking nothing. That's why we got to learn. We got to learn. We got to learn that these trials have come so that our faith of greater worth than gold that perishes, though refined by fire, might be proved genuine and might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. We got to learn how to stand the test. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Come on, I know you're under trial right now, but you're blessed because you're going to persevere under trial. You're not going to fall and get up and fall and get up and fall and get up. I don't care how many times you've fallen before. This time you're going to get up and make a declaration. I'm going to stand this test. I'm going to stand this test and I'm going to receive that crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Come on, somebody. Stand to your feet right now and give Jesus some praise. Stand to your feet right now and make a decision. 
and stand to your feet right now and just begin to declare, God, I'm going to stand the test. Come on, begin to declare it. I'm going to stand the test. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift up your hands to the Lord right now. Father, I speak encouragement to your sons and daughters today. I speak encouragement to those who are near and to those who are far. I speak encouragement. You're not going to fail that test. You're going to stand the test. Many of you here are going through a fiery trial. You don't feel like you have the resources to make it through. I sat through many tests in my academic career in which I felt that I was ill prepared for. Many tests that I felt like I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the understanding, I can't make it through this test. Many times I thought I had failed. One time I took a test and immediately sent an email to my professor apologizing to him for my poor performance on the test because I knew I had failed it. But when the result came back, he said, no, 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 you passed it. You passed it with flying colors. You know what? You don't know how prepared you are, but God knows. You don't know how much is in you, but God knows. You think it's not in you, but God knows it's in you. You think you don't have it, but God knows he's already given you everything necessary for life and godliness. And you can stand the test. Come on, lift those hands to the Lord right now. You can stand the test. Father, I speak your blessing over these sons and daughters of yours in the name of Jesus. I release supernatural encouragement in the name of Jesus. The power to stand the test. You're not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. He will not suffer your foot to be taken. He watches over you and he does not sleep. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. He watches over your going in and your coming out both now and forevermore. And I speak blessing. I speak supernatural encouragement. Great joy and great faith in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Now from this day forward, you're going to rejoice. You're going to rejoice in the midst of the, of the test. You're going to count it pure joy. Because God is qualifying you. You know, last night my daughter got sick. We were at a service at UC Berkeley on the UC Berkeley campus. We had the ARC had its annual outreach there. And a bunch of brand new UC Berkeley students poured in, filled the auditorium. The anointing of the Holy Spirit was strong. And at the end of the service, four young people dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ. I just got home from a mission trip in which we saw hundreds of miracles. And the miracles were happening instantly. But as soon as the service ended last night, I got a call from my dad. My daughter was there at my parents' house. He said, you and Sonny need to come get Alethea right now. She's got a high fever. She's throwing up everywhere. You need to take her home. So we rushed out there. We picked her up. We didn't get her halfway home before she started throwing up again. Had to pull over and clean her up. We finally got her home. Changed her, bathed her, put on her pajamas. No sooner did we get her pajamas on her than she started throwing up again. We gave her medicine. She threw up the medicine. So we took her in the room and we laid hands on her. We began to pray. We began to seek the face of God. We began to rebuke sickness. We began to call on the name of the Lord. We began to command healing to happen in her body. And after about 20 or 30 minutes of prayer, I said to the Lord, I said, God, I don't understand. I was in Indonesia 
and miracles were happening instantly. I mean, I would lay my hands on people and they'd instantly be healed. And not only me, all of our team members were laying hands on people and they were just being healed right and left. The lame were walking, the deaf were hearing. All kinds of healings and miracles were happening. Why is it that when I get home, I pray for my daughter for 30 minutes and nothing seems to happen? I should have an instantaneous miracle here. And the Lord spoke to me and he said this. He said, son, you can continue to operate at the level you're operating in Indonesia. Or you can let me take you to a higher level. He said, the reason the miracle is not happening instantaneously with your daughter is because I need you to linger in prayer. So I can take you to another level. I need to take you somewhere. And all of a sudden I realized that this was my opportunity to go to another place. Sometimes God's delays are divine. It's his way of saying, this is how I'm going to allure you into the wilderness. And there speak comfort to you. And I'll give you back your vineyards. I'll turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. God's delays are divine. It's his way of taking you to another level. And I'm telling you, when God spoke that to me, supernatural encouragement came. Some of you have been praying for things for years and you haven't seen it come to pass. Now is not the time to doubt. Now is not the time to despair. Now's the time to continue to believe. Because God is using it to take you to another level. And as he takes you to another level, you will see the heavens open. You will see the glory of God. You will see everything that he's promised you come to pass in your life. His delays are not denials. But they're a divine opportunity to be elevated in the spirit and taken to another level. Lift your hands one more time. Father, I release your blessing over this house in the name of Jesus. I release it with supernatural encouragement. With supernatural power. I release it right now in the name of Jesus. I release it. Father, let the glory of the Lord fall on this house today right now in the name of Jesus. Let the glory of the Lord come and wash away. Come and wash away every power of discouragement. Every power of fear. Every power of disillusionment. Every power of hopelessness. Wash it away. And I rebuke that anxiety. That anxiety that says it needs to happen now. It's got to happen now. I just remove that from your mind and heart right now. No anxiety but peace. It's going to happen in God's time. It's going to happen in God's way. It will surely come. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will surely come. It will surely come. The day is drawing nigh in the fulfillment of every vision. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. He's got your back. He's got your front too. He's watching over you. His hand is on your life. I speak every form of blessing, every form of provision, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want Kiwani to come forward. We have a son who's leaving for school. We're going to send you. You're not going to go on your own. Amen. So if anybody in his community, come forward. Let's lay your hands on that. And if you would join with us, we're going to send Keone. Keone, you're not going alone. Your church family, we're sending you. We're going to be covering you. We're going to be praying for you. So you keep in touch. 
Anytime you feel alone, remember you have a family here. Amen? So, Benjamin, watch out. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come a little closer. Come here. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak a covering over Kukioni's head. I speak a covering of protection over you. A release of provision for your life. And I say that there's a covering of authority over your head. You're never alone. You're never forsaken. And I say that you're being sent with great power. With great authority. And I speak protection over your mind. Protection over your heart. And I say that the truth will guard you. You've bought the truth. And you will not sell it. Father, we send him with power, with authority, with great success. And prophetically, we receive him home. And we declare that everything that you've intended and purposed in his time away has been accomplished. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. And I just want to send you off with a new name in the kingdom. God calls you confident. I want you to go to school with that new name, that you will be confident. Walk with the confidence that God is giving you today as a gift. So, Father, we establish Keone, God, in the confidence of Jesus Christ, Lord, that he will not question, he will not feel alone or weak, Lord, but he will walk this, walk this path with confidence in you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I bless you with the blessings of the Lord today, with the blessings of heaven and the blessings of earth, with strength, endurance, perseverance, confidence, and faith. And I say you're going to sleep in peace every night. You're going to wake up in joy every morning, and you're going to walk in love every day. God bless you. We're dismissed.